Hello, everyone. Welcome to Life on Earth podcast. I am Natalie Kra, your host. Today, we are going to take a trip to New Orleans and meet Rain Reed. Rain is the founder of Rain Studios and Rain Studio Podcast. She's also the founder of her online program, Rebirth. Today, you'll learn all about Rain, how we met when we both had yoga studios in New Orleans, and everything Rain is up to these days. We talk about friendship, connecting to Mother Earth, motherhood, the masculine and feminine energy, running a business, and so much more. This is a two-part episode, so tune in to part one and come back soon for part two because we have a lot to share with you. We went deep in conversation. We cover all kinds of different things, and I cannot wait for you to join us. This episode is brought to you by Shanti Yoga Training School. Join our online programs, deepen your knowledge and practice, plus get certified to teach. Go to lifeonearthpodcast.com for more information where you can check out all of our online programs and how we can work together. This summer, I'm also offering a retreat, an in-person retreat at the River Retreat House, which includes tea ceremony, sound healing, yoga practice, meditation, horseback riding, and of course, boating, boating the Jafunta River. You guys, this is one of my favorite rivers. It is my home. I cannot wait to share it with you. All the wildlife, all the beautiful scenery, and lots of places to stop and swim is completely majestic. The space for this retreat is limited, and I hope that if this is something that it's in alignment with you and you want to do and you want to come work with me in person, then sign up. I'm including the link underneath below on show notes. So sign up quickly because space is limited. Please enjoy this show with Rain Reed. Welcome to Life on Earth, The Peace Project, a podcast that teaches you how to connect with the divine and transform darkness into light through topics from yoga to nature and ultimately love. Join your host, Natalie Kwa, to celebrate and encourage diversity, peace and global equality, one earthling at a time. Hello. Hello. Oh, dearest Rain. It's so nice to have you on Life on Earth podcast. <laughs> so good to be here. It's we've gotten to hang out recently, pretty recently. Yes. And so it's like good to we be have. <laughs> yeah, we have. And we recorded a wonderful episode for your show and your podcast. And I cannot wait to see that as well. So how are you today? I'm doing really great. I moved through a big challenge. Just before we got on this show, I made a reel on Instagram. (laughs) You got to teach me how to do that one day. Oh my gosh. It's not as hard as you think. It was actually really fun. It was really fun. You know, the Madonna song, Material Girl? Yes. So like, okay, one of the things that happens to me Mm -hmm. 
is I will wake up with the song like playing in my head. Does that happen to you? Yes. Yes. Okay. Right. And usually like the words are very applicable to something going on. Oh, interesting. Uh Uh-huh. And like in this particular one, I was like, mycelium, (laughs) mycelium world, like, right? Like mushrooms and like this layer. (laughs) And I was cracking myself up. It might be the lamest thing, but I was like, this is epic. (laughs) That is so funny. Well, I can't wait to see it. Is it up? It's up already. I did. I posted it like 15 minutes before. I was like, man, I'm doing good with time this morning. But then I got my, I got my sandbags and I did a little micro mini practice before we got on. Cause like on the, to center yourself. Yeah. I was like, I'm meeting with my, one of my very best teachers. I need to grab. Oh, you're so sweet. (laughs) So Rain, for people who are listening right now, and of course I have an intro on you, but Rain had Rain Studios in New Orleans. Yes, yes. For the longest time. And we met also even before Rain Studios. Then you walked into Shanti Yoga Shala. We we actually talk about that on your podcast, which was a lovely thing to see you come so divine and you were practicing and we instantly had this connection and it was so wonderful and it used to come I always say that 12 o'clock class and Mm. I knew it Mm. you know I knew when like when rain came and I knew when rain didn't come too I was like where's she at today (laughs) (laughs) yes you noticed uh, like like a good teacher would (laughs) yeah And, you know, I'm assuming a lot of people in New Orleans are probably listening to this from our communities. And so they probably know you already. And then some people elsewhere, even in other countries, are just getting to know maybe both of us right now. So I would love to start with a little bit of your background, even prior to Rain, and just to ask you, like, how did this yoga journey begin because real quick I'll let people every listeners know so she goes from having this beautiful studio which we'll get into and then transitioning into something else moving away from New York now you're in Oregon and then you have some other offerings and beautiful things that you have created so we'll get to that but before all that I know that you started early because I think we talked about that. Yeah. So guide us like through Little Rain and how she got into yoga and all that stuff. (laughs) Oh my gosh, Little Rain. Little Rain didn't start quite as early as Little Natalie though. That was, you blew me away. So, I mean, my parents had me doing ballet at age two. Which now Mm. as a mom, I'm like, oh my God, two, that's like so (laughs) early to start someone doing something. And I actually think, so I was a breech baby inside of my mom, which, you know, as we know today is not a big deal, but in the eighties, they were like, oh God, what are we going to do? But I actually think I was what they call Frank's, which is, oh my gosh, which is essentially in the womb in Pashimottanasana. So like Mm -hmm. in the deepest of forward bends over your Mm -hmm. legs, like I believe I was like this in the womb. Wow. Uh Uh-huh. And so, and for the listeners, because they can't see us, right? I just had my foot foot by my ears. Yeah. Like a total yogi already. Yeah. Like yogi in the womb. And I actually, and the way I've sort of come with this is I used to sleep 
in a deep forward fold, like literally mm-hmm. just collapsed over myself, like my head by my feet, like just this flat forward fold. And the only reason that you wake up, right, from being asleep, at least for me, was to go because I had to go pee. And so mm-hmm. when you wake up from a deep forward fold like that, your legs are totally numb. <laughs> so sometimes I'd have to like army crawl to the bathroom and I was like kind of laughing, but also like, oh God, it hurts, you know, that tingly feeling. But so, yeah, you know, I started, I guess the movement practice was at age two, but my movement practice was this disciplinary ballet, right? And I really got into that. And yeah, you were a dancer. I continued to be a dancer. And disciplined. Yes. Yes. For, and all the way through college, like I actually went to Mm -hmm. university as a dancer at the new school university. And we share that in common too. Yes. I was a dancer all the way through college as well. Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. I know. Yeah. So our little, our parallel. Energies, it's funny how it's taken us this long to like really yeah. put it all <laughs> together. But you and I are like sisters from another mister. I mean, oh, definitely. So much. Oh, yeah. Oh, so much. So actually my aunt, my dear aunt, Cammie Lewis Fizzard, she brought me to my very first yoga class and I was... 16 or 17, like somewhere in that area. And, and it was a Bikram yoga class at Yoga 108 in New Orleans on Oak Street, the old one. Shout out Bruno. Actually, yeah, I was going to say Bruno, French Bruno, who yes. I met in actually Mysore, India. No way. Totally random. Yeah. Wait, yeah. what? I met Bruno in Mysore, India, and he was studying at the time with Patabi Joyce. And then I found out he was a Bikram teacher that had the Bikram in New Orleans. Crazy, right? Oh my God, that is amazing. (laughs) I love that. So my teachers were in Mysore doing their thing together. Makes total sense. Love it. Oh, he's hard. He's like playing cards. Yeah, playing cards and playing game after practice. And like totally oh my God. Have so fun. Him, have you had him on your podcast? No, I actually, I mean, he's moved to France, right? So, but yeah. that doesn't mean anything. But yeah, it'd be interesting. Yeah. Let's get him. Oh my gosh, that is amazing. He's hilarious. So I remember being in that first class and I was like, this is fucking crazy. Like this is psychotic. <laughs> and about halfway through it, I was like, but I kind of like it. Like I kind of <laughs> like this craziness, right? And I also remember I have an affinity for teachers with accents. Oh. And here's why. Because I have to listen more carefully. Mm-hmm. It's like that makes sense. Right? It's like you yeah. really have to listen in a different way. Yeah. yeah. And so I just remember, okay, so then like that first class, I was like, this is insane. And he was like, you Mm -hmm. did great. Oh, you know, in his enthusiastic way. And I was like, well, what should I do? And he was like, well, you should come back. And I was like, well, Mm -hmm. when? I feel like I'm dying, you know? And he was like, tomorrow. And I was like, tomorrow. And that was a seven days for $7. Oh, wow. Yeah. That will show. That's amazing. Our our time, right? So yeah. And I was just like, you're insane. But I, I was like, yes. And so I went back the next day and it sucked even more. It was horrible because I think I was like mm-hmm. massively dehydrated. It was summertime or it was warm. I mean, mm-hmm. it was New Orleans. It was yeah. Hot. And then by the third day, there was something that clicked. I had some aha moments and he, he saw 
this 16-year-old dedication to Mm -hmm. the practice. And he was very, in a very polite and not unctuous kind of way, he was quite attentive to me and just made Mm -hmm. me, because he also saw sort of the dangers of having the hyperflexibility of a dancer and this ridiculous turnout that he was constantly trying to rein me in mm-hmm. with my bringing my legs into parallel. And, you know, and his teaching too, I don't know if he'd get mad at me for saying this, but <laughs> he's not quite by the Bikram book. Like he had a lot of play and freedom in those classes, although he was using that 26 set poses as sort of mm-hmm. a framework. I really liked the freedom, but one more little story from that was, I mean, I think I had gone to probably 16 to 20 classes, almost back to back. I took a couple of days off because I really did feel like lightheaded and stuff. <laughs> but I remember going and just being like, what is he saying? And for the listeners, he has a very strong French accent. Like, very yes. And sometimes he just speaks French. Like when he gets kind of flustered, <laughs> he would just start speaking French. But he was saying, <laughs> one, two, three, in it. Two, three, exit, two, three, and up, two, three, exit. And I was like, what on earth? He's saying one, two, three, inhale. Yeah. One, yeah. Two, three, exhale. But I mean, it took mm-hmm. me a couple weeks to figure out exactly. So I was probably holding my breath. <laughs> but once I got through that, it was just like I was in love, you know? And the mm-hmm. movement was so different from being in a performative space. Exactly. Other people. It was like the whole thing was flipped around and I was doing it for myself. Yeah. I love this thing that really clicked for me because I had the same experience when I experienced asana through yoga. And it was like, okay, dance is a performing art Mm. and yoga, it's a healing art. So (laughs) it just flips it completely. Right. Which like, I love that you and I both had the discipline of like getting into ballet classes or modern, whatever it was, and, you know, doing the plies, the releves and all that and having that discipline and working with your body movement, breath, Mm. it's great. And it's amazing. And it's so artistic. And yet it was always so focused to the outward when the performances came, you know, so this practice kind of like flips it. I didn't mean to interrupt you, but it flips it too, because I totally relate. I was like, oh, now it's about. I'm doing this for me. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) I think it's a huge revolution, revelation, both because exactly. And I mean, yeah, I'm sure. I don't know what your experience was like. I had some very, very, very intense teachers. And even in class, it was, I was performing for the teachers. Yes. For the ballet master. And and it was quite traumatic looking back. I didn't actually Mm -hmm. register it in like my, I don't know, I guess my cerebral cortex. I didn't quite register it as trauma because these people had, I've been working with these people since I was two. Yeah. But, um, you know, some of the verbiage. And then when I got into college, I studied ballet with the great David Howard. So he's no longer Mm -hmm. with us. So I feel like I could share this, but he had us line up in front of the mirror and like say what was wrong with us. Oh, wow. <laughs> and I was like, <laughs> I remember I said something real flippant, you know, cause I kind of had that, I was respectful, but I was also a bit combative at this point. Mm-hmm. I was like, this is mm-hmm. ridiculous. And I was like, well, I mean, I think it's fine, <laughs> but, you know, but I remember, and also in, in younger years, actually in like sixth grade, I was asked to make a choice whether I would continue doing ballet by the ballet masters, Mm -hmm. if I would continue doing ballet or if I was going to play sports because my leg muscles were becoming too developed for ballet. Mm. 
and they were like, you're starting to look like a boy. And I was like, oh, I know. And so like in hindsight, I just kind of like nourish and nurture that little girl who, who got told yes. me. Yes. You know? And I watched lots of fellow dancers really get rocked by some of that stuff. And so Gosh. Yeah, I, I have too. I have too. I have. I totally understand what you're talking about. Yeah. I mean, anybody who has been in that world for that long knows yeah. exactly what we're talking about. <laughs> so then tell us about, because yeah. I have so much I want to cover. How did the studio come about? So okay. you're now in New Orleans. Was it like somebody that planted the seed or you really wanted to do it? And then you said, okay, let's go for it. I rem- you know, how did that kind of develop? It's a very interesting story. It's very divine looking back. So, well, I have to say in college, so I'm dancing, but my roommate, shout out Hannah Weisskopf, now Moorhead. She was the one who brought me to my first vinyasa class. So it was mm-hmm. a hot vinyasa class. It was at a studio called Some Like It Hot on 63rd and 3rd, and some of the most incredible teachers. Oh my gosh. Some like it hot. I love it. Some like it hot. I know. It was really sexy. Oh my God. And anyway, I mean, I had just another aha moment, like for the dancers that we're speaking to, because so many yogis are recovering dancers, right? So we see you and we hear you and we love you. I remember being in a class and it was being taught by an incredible teacher, Isaru Fernandez, who is like a lawyer by day and a yoga teacher and also like a martial arts master, like incredible. Mm. And he also works with children. The man's amazing. Isaru Fernandez, key yoga, incredible. So my roommate, Hannah, and I were next to each other, mat to mat. And he says, go into a three-legged dog, open it up. And then he's, he was like, flip your dog, but only if you want to. And neither of us did it. And we looked at each other under our arm, you know, we were like, what? and I was like, I don't want to. She was like, me neither. And we just basked in the glory of that three-legged dog. And like, it was the first time I had been given permission to do what I want as a mover. I literally will never forget that. And also at that moment in my mind, I said to myself, I will never do this for anyone else. I will only do this for me. So I went against my own will there, right? Just a couple of years later, about four years later, my father actually, he has his law practice on the corner building in the central business district, CBD of Mm -hmm. New Orleans. And the building next to it was where my studio was. And that building he owned for like 10 years when I was growing up. But he sold this building as I became a tenant. So back up again. I come back from college. I'm like, what am I doing? I'm in the service industry. I'm working at Kyoto. And I started a, shall I say, we started, Maisha Dunn and myself started a cabaret company. Mm-hmm. So we were performing cabaret dances at, gosh, now I can't even remember the names of the places, but <laughs> I'm so old. <laughs> No, you're not. It'll come to me. But yeah, we had quite a few performances and we were doing rehearsals in the upstairs of this dirty, broken down warehouse place. Mm -hmm. And my my dad was like, you be careful over there. Like, because it had not been renovated in over a hundred years. I mean, it was dicey. Yeah. And there's like pigeon shit everywhere. And I mean, it was (laughs) a mess. And so he still owned it at the time, but then he sold it to Louis Faust. And Lewis 
is the insurance man for all the strip clubs in New Orleans. Okay. So he like goes up in the loft area and he sees the mirrors. We had like acquired mirrors from all kinds of places, super janky. And he sees all the costumes and he was like, huh? <laughs> and so he came and asked me, he was like, what are you doing in there? And I was like, mm-hmm. oh, sorry, sorry. I'll get it out. Cause you know, we're selling the building. And he was like, no, no, no. It looks cool. What is it? And I was like, well, it's cabaret. And he was like, oh, and I was also teaching like what I called bootleg yoga. So I, mm-hmm. we, we kind of cleaned it up. A couple friends, Caitlin and Ben, we cleaned up the studio and like silicone the floor so that it wasn't like dust coming through. And I started teaching bootleg yoga. And I mean, it was just friends and like people would come and, but mind you, the floor was so filthy, like from hundreds of years or not hundreds, but a hundred years of not yeah. being that, You had to walk to a spot with your shoes on put your mat down and then take off your shoes and get on your mat and just accept that the backside of your mat was going to have this like dust layer on it. Mm -hmm. So I charged, it was $10 cash, whatever. And I was doing that for a couple of months. So then Lewis buys the building and he was like, would you like to be a tenant? And so at that point I was like, gee whiz, like, I guess I would be right. That would be cool. And a friend of mine had just moved back to New Orleans, Luke Cooper. He ended up being my business partner for like the first year and a half, two years. I Uh, met him. Yeah. He's wonderful. At the studio. Yes. And and actually I was flanked by Luke and his, I guess he's called, it was Textbuyer at the time, but it's Factor 10, which is Mm -hmm. like this sort of design and very techie company. And then Louis Faust, who is the new owner of the building and- Mm -hmm. Mr. Insurance of the strip club things. And so I'm flanked by these two gentlemen and then the studio in the middle. And it was navigating those relationships with this, what I've now come to understand, what is the divine feminine feminine and the divine masculine energies. This was a very challenging, interesting yeah. dynamic. Yes. 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 Challenging. Well, and also you were still so young. I mean, you're still oh young. God, I was and, so young. And, but to be thrown like that mm. with all that and then the masculine and you just give yourself some credit trying to figure it out. Yes, it was. Yeah. And I was so fresh. Like I was such a new teacher at the time. I had a lot of imposter syndrome. Mm-hmm. I was like, gosh, this all feels really cool to have sort of, you know, boop, 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 like in place this way. Like it felt very divine. But then at the same time, like I just didn't feel, essentially I didn't feel like I deserved it. And I come now to understand that I had a lot of like just basic self-esteem challenges. And mm-hmm. had I gotten deeper into that work earlier, perhaps I would have kept the studio, but I don't know, because this is something I was thinking about this morning in prep for our conversation today. When we decided to sell the studio. Which just so people know, this is almost a decade later. Yes, it was a de- almost a decade. Yeah. Nine years yeah. later. Yeah. And we, I mean, gosh, shouldn't even breeze through that. But the studio, so that this warehouse space that I'm speaking of, right? That was so sooty and dirty with the pigeons everywhere. Oh, became beautiful. Became the most beautiful. And that was really cool. So Lewis, Lewis, his design and style of the building was just whitewash. He wanted to whitewash everything. 
and gray and whitewash everything. And I mean, it's beautiful the way he's done it, mm-hmm. but that sanctuary right in the middle upstairs, I was like, don't touch anything. And he was like, what mm-hmm. do you mean? And I was like, just blow it off, just clean it off, blow it off, clear coat it, whatever. And he was like, what? But we left it raw. So he mm-hmm. did let me have that sort of design aspect of it. That, And we left all of the raw elements. So you could see all of the, the architecture and the changes that had happened over the years to the space. And the beams were exposed. The ducts were exposed. The bricks were exposed. Just everything was just a raw and beautiful sanctuary. And, and you know, I, I made a lot of decisions to keep it without any idols, without any... Yeah. Any- yeah. I heard you talking about that because I watched the masterclass. Oh, thank you. Oh my goodness. Yeah. Exciting. So I've got questions, but yeah, talk about that a little bit. That's interesting. Yeah, I just, again, I guess it was a combination of sort of... And for people who are listening and maybe don't know exactly what we mean by, by idols, I mean, most of us in the yoga community know, but you're talking about, Grange talking about like Ganesha or Shiva or... Or anything else of that sort, yeah, right? Yeah, symbols. Yeah, I just, really any symbology. I just wanted mm-hmm. to be free of it because I wanted anyone and everyone to feel like they belonged in the space. Mm-hmm. That was like a very core value that I always had, that I wanted, I really wanted anyone and everyone to feel welcome and that it was their place of worship or sanctuary or peace or whatever the word they were going to choose, you know, that blank sort of canvas gives people the opportunity to do is to make it their own. And the same thing with the teachers. I mean, seriously, some of the best teachers in the world, I mean, these incredible women, incredible humans. You met a lot of people there, right? That you oh my create, gosh. So created many- a beautiful community. Yeah, the staff was amazing and yeah, it was hard to let go of, but I guess. Well, I mean, things change, things evolve. I mean, I think that this is an interesting thing because I also had Shanti Yoga Shala for about 10 years, a little bit over 10 years. And we both sort of let go of it around the same time almost, and it's which is really interesting. And I think that a lot of it, I don't know about you, because I'd love to know how that transition went. I actually did a podcast on my transition with someone mm. in the community interviewing me. Cool. And back in the day it was very healing for me yes. to do that, because I got to talk about it in a way that I didn't really know that I needed to talk about it like that. And so, yeah. but what happened is I had a lot of people because I think if you're listening to this, people know yoga studios, you build is these awesome, beautiful communities and mm. there's drama and there's sadness and sometimes there's hurt, but there's also a lot of beautiful things, right? And beautiful relationships that can form and sometimes dissolve, but nonetheless, they're, they were there and they're part of who we are. That's yoga. It's that sangha. But I think when I decided to leave, I got a lot of, I don't want to say backlash, but like I had a lot of people that were just like, how can this be going on? What are you doing? You know, and then some of it were just like students who were very devoted. And part of me, I'm sure, and I want to ask you, that's why I'm sharing. I mean, for me, I had to go back and forth with it for like over a year Mm. because there was a part of me (laughs) that I was feeling kind of guilty about it, which I think it's probably normal. But what I wanted to add to what you say is that the trajectory or how do you say that again 
You nailed it. Okay, good. Yeah. <laughs> of, someone, of someone's life, you know, when you look at like five years, 10 years or 15 years or 20 years, things are always changing. And we learned this in yoga too. Nothing is permanent. The only thing that we know for sure is the impermanence of all things. Yes. So people change, people grow, people evolve, people experience something. Sometimes just like a relationship that has a place in your life and serves a purpose, so does businesses and so does studios and so does locations. And then it transitions into something else. And I think we're both experiencing that with our work. And I don't know, I just feel like that's so beautiful. But let me circle back to that because you were saying it was challenging. So tell us about that transition, how that went for you to let it go. Mm, So it is pretty fun. I came to realize that I was with child. (laughs) I came to realize (laughs) that we had been gifted from the divine with a being who called himself in. So Damien and I were not planning our pregnancy, but our pregnancy happened. And literally, this is so intimate, but I will tell you, I was in the shower. I was standing in the shower and I was like, oh my God. And the first thing that came to my mind, I got to have this baby at home. And it was kind of like when people say like, it was like a voice. It like was my voice, but like maybe it wasn't. It was like a message, if you Mm -hmm. will, from above. My response to that was like, oh yeah, totally. (laughs) And it was so weird because I mean, when I tell you I had really not given, I mean, I just kind of as all women do, you know, when you have your bleeding cycle, you know what it is. And it's like, when you bleed means that you're not, that you're not with child. And so when you don't Mm -hmm. bleed, it means you are with child. Mm -hmm. And I just, you know, had, I had never really given myself permission and I do to low self-esteem, I believe now never given myself permission to really go that far and imagine myself as a mother. I was struggling as a business owner. I was struggling. I just felt like I was so struggling in life. I struggled with substances and just like what I've now realized was my relationship with self from largely from like childhood trauma and not healing it, like not using, you know, I was just using the asana. I was not doing, I was not being a holistic whole yogi. I mean, I just Mm -hmm. wasn't, you know, and so going to work every day, teaching the things that I was teaching, breathing and mindfulness and, and movement and really not applying it in all facets of my life just felt terrible. It felt awful. And thank you for sharing that because I feel a lot of people may relate to that. Yeah, totally. Yes. Well, now I've come to realize we're perfectly imperfect. So doing something a hundred percent, we can try and give it our best. But so yes, again, I, I, we hear you, we see you, we feel you to the listeners who might resonate with that. But man, did I tell you when I became pregnant, when I came to realize that I was pregnant, it was like the heavens opened up. I mean, it really was like that, like a beam of light felt like it was shining on me. And all of the sudden I cared for this, I cared for this multi-celled little thing inside of me more than I had ever cared about myself. And it was instant. And you had your partner. And I had my partner. Yep. Mm-hmm. Your baby's dead. And Baby uh, daddy, did, you, yep. did you both decide 
it was time to leave New Orleans? Oh, God. So we had wanted to leave New Orleans for a long time, for years. But both of us, Damien was very deep in managing a CrossFit gym just down the road from the studio and had been working for them for like basically same time, like nearly a decade. And we were just like both integrated in our communities and our families are from New Orleans. But we both dreamed of different places, you know, of sort Mm -hmm. of wilder places with more access to nature, with a more mindful, just like general community. Now, I'm not saying that the New Orleans community isn't mindful. I'm simply saying that like composting and recycling and like things of that, like we just always were really like, why aren't we doing this? And like quite frustrated, you know, like to the point of anger Mm -hmm. with like how mindless certain facets of being there was. And so it was the biggest catalyst for change. And I mean, yeah. Do you feel like having moved to a different location on the map energetically created a big shift? It definitely did. But I will say that, that that is what some people call a geographical. And really the work happens inside. Uh-huh. Like the work really happens inside because we were however many thousand miles away, we were running the studio remotely for two years. Wow. Um, so we were in our house in Bend at the time, but I mean, it felt like we were at the studio because I was on the phone all the yeah. time managing with multiple managers and teachers and things of this nature. But I guess like just for listeners, it's To do the spiritual part or do the philosophical part of yoga is so important. And of course, asana, except for you, you totally did the other (laughs) way. (laughs) Most of us, not Natalie, Mm -hmm. but most Mm -hmm. of us, many of us come to yoga for the physical, you know, Mm -hmm. and there is nothing wrong with that. I'll never forget Laura Darnell, one of our teachers in the very beginning, shout out. Mm -hmm. She was walking around. She was like, all right, everybody set an intention. You know, and she was like, set an intention, world peace or set an intention, whatever. And then she goes, set an intention because you want to find ass. I don't care what it is. Just set an intention. I was like, yes, yes to that permission, you know, because that's okay too. You know, Mm -hmm. it's like to want to be fit, to want to be healthy is a wonderful thing. And that surface sort of the gateway of the Mm -hmm. physical is amazing, but really allowing the teachings to infiltrate your body and allowing yourself to try oming or chanting or whatnot. And if you're resistant to that, because I just remember feeling that combination of imposter syndrome and the cultural appropriation, essentially, Mm -hmm. those were my big fears. Now, why did you feel that you felt this thing so many years ago that like, perhaps there was a cultural inappropriation? Like, where did this even come from? Oh boy. Oh boy, Natalie. Is that Um, a big question? The reason I'm asking, because I have a small thing to add here. It's interesting to me, this whole thing of cultural appropriation, because I mean, I sometimes probably have to go to to talk about it, like in therapy or something for a long time, but I never even thought about it. I never even thought about it. But I also was in India when I was like 20. And I was also like, as you know, sitting in the Hare Krishna temple, I mean, ashrams and doing my, my prasadam and like my chants and Bhagavad Gita studies in my teens. Yeah. And never once in my, my life, it crossed my mind. I actually didn't even know what that word was until, yeah. I mean, what that meant until like a couple of years ago that a podcaster brought it up or something. Yeah. But it never even crossed my mind. I was just like, oh, 
So I'm just almost wondering, I'm also not American, right? And so I'm also wondering, like, is this like a United States thing? Because here these issues get brought up to the surface for better or worse. I mean, maybe it's a really good thing. Or is it just like maybe somebody told you that and you believe it? Like, you know, I'm wondering. I think that was a big part of it for me. I think a big Mm -hmm. part of it was I got a lot of judgment, you know, Mm -hmm. for being this 23-year-old who opens this big fancy studio, you know, and it turned out like I was a really good asana teacher, like right off the bat. And I really think that that was because of my dancing days and because of how also religiously I attended yoga. Like I I mean, you've been a dancer since you were like two. I mean, you knew how to work the body, you know, the body, the mechanics of the body. That's like huge. You have a whole Mm -hmm. career of dedicating to that. Yeah. And I had taught dance before and and I had, and I was comfortable with the language. Like I was very, I was just really comfortable doing it. Like, and my team, like Jeffrey Roniger, another New Orleans incredible Mm -hmm. yogi, he had said that he feels like in a past life, like he was in India, like, cause he just understood Sanskrit. Like it's just kind of. Me too. That's how I felt. That's how you felt. And so I don't know that I felt quite that, but I did feel like it resonated. I was just like, maybe I did. And I'm just giving myself permission Mm -hmm. now to admit it. Like, yeah, I think I too did. And, but I think that some people, and it was honestly colleagues because I was the owner, but we were all the same age. Some of the other teachers were older than me. And Mm -hmm. so there was just, there was like, I don't know. The dynamic. Yeah. Yeah, The dynamic. um, What's that word though? But, and it's kind of toxic, a competition right? Competition between females and in this realm. Yeah. And I wasn't registering that at the time Mm -hmm. because Mm -hmm. I was just trying to keep it together. I was the one that was having to deal with the bills and having to deal with all the money and having to deal with the PLS. Which is all the masculine stuff, like so masculine on the same note. Do you feel like the feminine energy now is like, has somewhat shifted with that competition thing? Or is it because we're a different age? Just because I'm feeling it a lot less now. Oh, I think maybe it's it's, it's a planetary thing, maybe. I hope so. I mean, what I think is, at least for me. On your podcast, we talked a lot about sisterhood. Yes. Yes. For me, it was like, as I became a mother, so I ended up having our son at home and I had only went to the OBGYN in New Orleans one time because I love her, Rebecca Perrette. That's funny. And I just went over there, walked down the street and I was like, hey, I'm pregnant. She was like, oh, great. And she- That's like, funny. Yeah. She was oh like, my God. a home birth, aren't you? And I was like, yes, <laughs> I am. And she was like, that's awesome. Go for it. You know? And I was like, but I got to get out of here because nobody's going to think that that's okay, right? <laughs> at the time I was not connected to it. There is an amazing home birth scene in New Orleans that I've just become privy to in the past like two years. But certainly in my circle, I felt like I was going to be quite ostracized for that. So for me, that was, I mean, when I embodied the sheer force and power of creating a being inside of you and then releasing it out into the world and holding it up, up on my chest that literally was a moment of enlightenment for me. It sounds like it was also a catalyst for transformation in your life. Oh my God. Like the biggest one. Amazing. This times a million. Yeah. I just, I feel like every single thing that every question I had been asking 
What is my purpose? What is this world about? Why am I alive? All of these feelings of <laughs> not belonging that I had, I instantly understood. It, it kind of like, came into full circle. Like, yeah, it was like this hush yeah. blanket over me that was just like, now you understand. And I was like, oh. oh. Yeah. What a teacher, huh? What a teacher. Oh, Whoa. oh my, my God. Is my greatest teacher, absolutely. And my husband. <laughs> also another great teacher. But yeah, so for me, I just saw the feminine in this power that I had, Mm -hmm. that I myself hadn't seen. And I had been surrounded by powerful women, you being one of them. My most influential guiding female lights is you. Oh, thank you. Thank you. Mm, No, thank you. For saying that. Yeah, it's a big deal. It's a really, really big deal. I'm so grateful for our paths to have crossed when they did. Yes. Because you gave me a lot of, my God, teaching insight. Of course, I was parroting (laughs) Natalie a lot. But you gave me also that confidence and the love. Like we had discussed, you know, when you would give me adjustments or assists, I felt mother. I felt Mm -hmm. truly like I was being touched by my mother. And mm-hmm. like I was being shown the way, guided mm-hmm. and also grounded and hushed. Mm-hmm. There's so much. There was so yeah. much love given. And I feel that. I feel like I often joke like my yoga children, you yeah. know, because oh, I do feel that, especially with a lot of you that I have watched over the years. And even if I'm not right there at that moment, I loved watching you, for example, the opening of the studio and the development of things. And just, and then we talked on your podcast about following on social media and seeing all the Mm. offerings to the world and the different ways that for me, it's like just so, there's so much gratification in, in watching people that I have worked with or have a connection with blossom and do well. And I just love that. It's like, ah, it makes what I do totally worth it. So yeah, thank you for saying that. Okay, so let's be now in Oregon. And you've then transitioned that had to happen You left. And now you still have rain. And it's what is it developing? And I'll be keep talking, but I'll be right back to get a note. What has it been developing? Because I have some questions on that. Oh, yeah. So the studio Catherine Burke and Crow created a 200-hour training program. And we ran that for just one year, but it was incredible. They had like, I believe, 23 or 24 students and they all graduated and it was amazing. And I actually went down for the graduation, but that happened. And then, I mean, basically it was just like, wait, this is the weird witchy part. Okay. Okay. Tell tell us. Honestly, it was like something was just like, you need to do this now. Because we were actually being quite inspired by Sadie Lincoln, who is the owner of Bar 3. Mm-hmm. And now back, if you rewind all the way back, Luke Cooper, my very first business partner, mm-hmm. my, only business, my only business partner, but my business partner in the beginning, <laughs> he had wanted to franchise immediately. He was like, you're amazing. You're like Britney Spears yoga. This is amazing. The design, the logo, the everything, the freedom, the sort of modern take on an ancient practice. This is great. Let's just do this. And I was very stubborn. And I was like, no, I don't want to do that. That's cheesy. And I don't want to be like McDonald's yoga. And 
of course, now I feel, I, I hug that young Rain who said that because plenty of people have multi-studio locations and it's absolutely a dream. But that was not for me at the time. But so nine years later, we are like teetering on the decision. Are we going to franchise this or are we going to set ourselves free? Are we going to release mm-hmm. it? No. And we were down visiting the studio. Actually, we were downsizing it because it had gotten quite complicated with the downstairs space and the ups. We had three studios, essentially. It was a lot. And so we needed to downsize because as you know, owning yoga studios is not quite that lucrative of a business. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. we're just trying to make it work. And I happen to call Janae. Yeah, I mean, especially with all the overheads. I mean, people oh. don't realize, but there's so much overhead. So much yeah. overhead. We had 52 employees at the time. I mean, it was, oh, wow. it was, okay. that's a lot, a lot. Yeah. So, and we were open seven days a week from the early morning to the late in the evening, but I called Janae Holmes who had, who had taught yoga right when she moved down from Boston. She taught at rain. It was like the first place she taught, you know, probably seven years before. And I called her and I left her message just like, Hey, call me back. And she knew when she listened to the voicemail, what I was calling about, like, she was just like, oh my God, what's about to happen. And so we finally talked. Now, Janae Holmes is the owner of Free to Be Power Yoga. Okay. Janae and Kelly Boudreaux are the ones who bought the studio from me and, and have now turned it into Free to Be Power Yoga. So that part of me, I taught, they were like, you got to come down. You got to teach a last class, like a final class. And you know, like a hundred people showed up. It was really cool. The energy was amazing. And I was just like in the middle of teaching this final class. I was like, y'all got to promise me you do this more often because we would have between maybe 15, 25. Some of our bigger classes were maybe 35 to 40 people, but never hundred. I think yeah. the Thanksgiving class actually would get to be like a hundred people sometimes. Um But it was amazing. It was like this sweat fest and it was just amazing. And, you know, I said my piece at the end and I just bawled crying, like in front of the whole group. And and then there was like this big kind of hug thing, but it was amazing. But it felt right. Mm -hmm. Like I didn't feel like it was wrong. I wasn't like, oh, I need to hold on. I need to hold on. I was like, no, it's time to go. It's time to go. And who could have predicted the pandemic coming? But the pandemic happened like like five months later after the sale. <sighs> that's so, crazy. That is crazy. And that's that yeah. intuition thing that we talked about on my podcast. Yeah, we talked about because I was telling Rain uh, for the <laughs> listeners that I actually closed Shanti Yoga Shala on the beginning of 2019, probably like February. And the, obviously the pandemic hit 2020 and it was... <laughs> wild that I just had this we both had this sort of thing to want to let go of the space not the work the work is alive and well for both of us and and that's what I want to get into with you now what you're doing now because it's so interesting but you know the location it just felt like a completion and something that needed to be released but yeah definitely there's some divine guidance there too for sure yeah for the listeners Definitely do your asana practice. Yeah. Do your breathing and listen. I mean, listen to the birds. As cheesy as it sounds, listen yeah. to them. look, you know, well, smell the rain. That's where my oh, yeah. comes from. You know, barefoot walking outside, like 
because the messages are coming. It's just as yeah. like, are we open up to hear them? Thank you for listening to the show. I hope you enjoyed it. I hope you're having a beautiful day wherever you are. And remember, I have this awesome August summer retreat coming up. It's in Louisiana by the Jafuncta River in a house that's on water. It's just magnificent. Check below and show notes and you'll see the link and also the Instagram handles to follow at the River Retreat House. Mine is Natalie Kra. If you have any questions or if you want to reach out to me, DM me on Instagram. You can also email natalie at lifeonearthpodcast.com. And for all of our online offerings, yoga certification programs, come work with me. You know, I work online on live stream and I would love to spread the message of our school. We've got a wonderful book, Living Life in Light, and we've got all these awesome online programs. So definitely check it out lifeonearthpodcast.com and you can see all the 200 hour, 300 hour and everything else we have. So I hope to see you soon and come back for part two of Rain Read.